If you open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Lord, as we bow before you this evening, we ask, Lord, that you would take your word and, the Lord, that you would apply it to our lives. We ask, Lord, that you would challenge the way that we think and the way that we live our lives as Christians. That, Father, it would be the desire of our heart to conform our minds and our hearts and our lives to the word of God and what it says. We pray that you give to us the courage to reevaluate our lives and the way that we live. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to soften our hearts to your word, to love you more, to be more grateful, and to love others more. We pray, O Lord, that it would be our desire to learn from your word. And so we are grateful, Father, you've given us your word, which reveals to us your mind, reveals to us your heart, and reveals to us your will. So we thank you. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 17. Paul says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may boldly speak as I ought to speak. Last time as we finished up with verse 18, and we spent a great deal of time talking about prayer, and Paul here as he finishes with the, the armor that we are very familiar with, he tells us to be watchful, he tells us to persevere, And in doing so, the way that we do that is through prayer and by praying, praying for others. And then, after he states that, he specifically asks for them to pray for him. I think that he does so as a way to model how they are to be praying for each other. But not only is he doing this because he wants us to be a model as to how they are to pray for others, he truly wants them to pray for him in this manner. And I think... And if we spend some time looking at this and thinking about it, it will help us a great deal in the way that we pray. And in particular, the way that we pray for the lost. Because that is what he's talking about here. As he asks him to pray, it, all, it has to do with him delivering the gospel and revealing the gospel and the fact that he is an ambassador for the gospel and he wants to speak the gospel boldly. And so we need to think about this in, in those terms. So when it comes to this, I began to think a lot about the way that we pray for the lost. You may have had this experience before. I've had this in other contexts where I've gone to a, when I say religious meeting, it's it's a Christian meeting, but it, it wasn't necessarily Baptist, but I was with a group of believers. I do believe that they were very sincere. So all the negative things I'm about to say It's not about these as individuals personally, because I do believe that they were very sincere. But what they did was we were singing some songs, and then then we were going to spend some time in prayer. So far, so good. 
So then the individual who is leading uh, in prayer basically made a statement in his prayer about, um, I guess, individuals needing something. And, and so he kind of went through a list. And so he would, he would talk about individuals who uh, maybe needed um, help in their marriages, uh, and then he would be quiet, and then people would basically say names out loud. They could say it any way they want, like, uh, you know, Ben and Mary, and whatever. And then he would say, you know, there are those that are, uh, and he kind of would go through a few categories, and then, and then he ended up with salvation. You know, there are those for salvation. And then people would just say names. So the whole time this is going on, I'm thinking, I'm not, what kind of prayer is this? We're just saying names. I mean, I'm, I'm, I believe people are sincere. I don't see this in the Bible where someone is leading in prayer and they make a statement and then we just say names. I think we mean well, but what are we trying to accomplish? I do think for some, maybe for many, you do feel better because we've participated. We've said some names. Perhaps some who said names may have been praying for that individual during that time. But there's been several that I talked to afterwards because I asked questions and that wasn't going on, at least with some. They were just saying names. Names of real people, but they were just saying names. And so I just, you know, I wasn't quite able to put my finger on it, but I just, I thought, man, there's just got to be a better way to do that than this. Then I thought about the way that we normally do things. We, meaning here at our church, we being maybe Baptist, maybe we being evangelicals. When we pray for the lost, there's a, a habit that we have, especially if you have a prayer list. We have one, and there's a column as the lost. Bunch of names. Some of us know the names because we may know them, or maybe we were here when an individual requested prayer for that individual. But after a while, I mean, they are just a list of names. So once again, I began to think about that and ask myself, so how do we pray for these people? What are we praying for God to do? I mean, there's, this, there's 30 names here. I don't know how many names we have, but there's 30 names here. What am I asking God to do here? And if I don't know the specifics of what's going on, do I just say the names? Do I just say, well, Lord... On our list, we have a bunch of names here for salvation. Maybe I read them out loud. Now, again, I'm not saying that's necessarily, I'm not saying it's sinful. I'm just kind of wondering, is that how we're going to pray for the rest of the, the year for these people? Some of, them may have been, some of them have been on there for years. Is that how we're going to pray for the next 10 years? Or are we just going to say their names? Because that's kind of what we end up doing. We're just saying their names. Look in the Bible. You don't have that kind of prayer going on anywhere. That doesn't happen. So again, I'm not saying necessarily that it's wrong, but there's got to be a better way. So too often what happens is, with all of this, is traditionally, at least in our country, and I don't know what it's like in other countries, I don't know what it's been like in other countries, but when it comes to praying for those, in maybe you would say in an evangelistic way, it really centers on praying directly for the salvation of that individual. Dear Lord, please save so-and-so. And please save so-and-so. However, 
when you read through the Bible, especially the New Testament, especially the writings of Paul, he advocates for prayer for believers, not for sinners. Now, I'm going to make that clear as we move on, because I'm not moving away from the need of salvation. I'm, I'm remaining in that area. And so I think there's a big misunderstanding that we may have in relationship between prayer and evangelism. How should we pray for an unsaved friend or an unsaved loved one? Because some of us have family members who aren't believers. Perhaps we've been praying for them for 5, 10, maybe in some cases 20 years. We may be familiar with the circumstances in their life and all the various nuances of things that are going on. Sometimes we just end up saying, oh yeah, Lord, Uncle Joe, he needs to be saved. And that's a true declaration. We want God to save them. That's, That's true. But once again, what does the Bible say anything more than just saying their names? What's interesting When you look at the prayer life of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ never prayed explicitly and directly for the eternal salvation of a lost person. It's not in there. Can't find it. It may be equally starting to realize that Jesus nor Paul ever commanded that we explicitly or directly pray for the salvation of the lost. Now, don't freak out. Say, Bob's saying that we shouldn't be praying for lost people because I'm not saying that. Not yet, anyway. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> this, will, this will remain biblical and Christian. But I do want us to think. Of course, sometimes my wife says, did you have to say it like that, Bob? Do you have to do it that way? Being as stubborn as I am, I go, well, yeah, because we need to be forced to think. It can make us very uncomfortable at times. Kind of make us shift in our seats when it comes to some of these things, but that's good for us. I've been there before many times where someone gets up and they start making statements and start making suggestions and oh, I, just, I don't like what he's saying. I don't like the way he says that. Just stop kind of a thing. But it's not heretical because, again, I'm just stating fact. Again, there is no command to explicitly and directly pray for the salvation of the lost. Now, again... Obviously, we are to pray for the lost. To pray for maybe an individual explicitly and directly, I I would definitely say it's allowable. Uh, I I believe that uh, there are several places in the New Testament where it it is at least implied, even though it's not this explicit thing. Jesus taught his disciples to pray for those who persecute you. That's in Matthew 5. He did say that. Pray for those who persecute you. What, how do we do that? I mean, do, again, are we just stating their names? How, how are we to go about this really in a, in a biblical and, I would add, an, in an effective way? Now, I'm not saying that our prayers are ineffective if we at times pray wrongly, because God obviously is very knowledgeable of our weaknesses, and we have the Holy Spirit that helps us to pray, prays for us uh, when, we know, when we do not know how we ought to pray. But I do think we need to continue to improve in the way that we pray. Um, when he says there to pray for those who persecute you, uh, the word for really has the idea of pray in behalf of or for the benefit of. That's really the idea that's being carried there, is to pray for the benefit of those who persecute you. 
So prayer is to be for the benefit of the persecutor in some way, based on what he says. Certainly the greatest possible benefit to anyone who's our enemy would be their eternal salvation. But again, this is kind of implied. It's not, a, it's not a, an explicit or direct command. Paul advocated that we pray or that prayers be offered up on behalf of all men for kings and all those who are in authority in 2 Timothy. The immediate reason is given, though, which is in order that we might lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So it's not wrong for us to pray for our leaders and pray that they get saved, but that's not why he's telling us to pray for them. He's telling us to pray for them so we will be able to live a tranquil life, so we can live a quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So basically, Paul's requesting prayer for governmental authorities so they will not interfere with the free working of the believer and the church. That's really what that's about. That's why we are to pray for them. Now, there is the ultimate reason, which you see in, later on in 1 Timothy 2, which says, because God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So, prayer for the salvation of the government officials is only indirectly implied. Again, it's interesting that it is, uh, again, neither a command to pray for their salvation of the unsaved, and it's, again, not direct or explicit. So the closest that the New Testament comes to explicit and direct prayer for the salvation of the lost is in Romans, or in Romans 10, uh, verse 1, where Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. So he's praying for the salvation of Israel. I believe that that's pretty clear. Uh, He's praying, uh, it is prayer for the salvation of the nation of Israel as a whole, He's not really praying for individual Jews. Again, I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't do that. I'm just kind of pointing out what he's saying here. But a more important question is, why is there only one clear example of an explicit and direct prayer for the salvation of the lost in the entire New Testament? If you take this passage as being that, why is there only one? Is it because Christ and Paul do not care about the salvation of the lost? Well, we know that's not true. They did. No one who reads casually the New Testament can even come to that conclusion. We know that Jesus himself wept over the lostness of men. And Paul, as we know, as we see here in this letter, remained very zealous for evangelism throughout his life. So we're going to look briefly at some things that Christ said, then back at the things that Paul said, and try to figure this thing out so that we can pray in a better way for the lost. I do believe that you'll notice in the New Testament there's instruction concerning the relationship of prayer to evangelism is unusual in comparison to contemporary practices. In other words, if you compare what the Bible has when it comes to praying for the lost and what we do, there's just, I mean, it's like this in the way that we do it. And I do believe that, and I don't know if it's just a uniquely American thing, we, we can get a little lazy in our prayers. And again, I'm not advocating that we have to spend four or five hours a day in prayer. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I mentioned last week about us praying and and, and really praying often throughout the day. And there are many people that we can pray for. We definitely, we cannot pray for everyone. None of us can do that. None of us can pray for everyone. That is an impossibility. Thank goodness there are many people that are praying. Um, And there are times that we would like many people to be praying for maybe one particular thing, depending on the situation. 
But if we're, as we pray for people, and I believe that it's a good thing to pray specifically, even if we're praying shortly, I do think specifics are important. Again, when it comes to this, in view of an obvious need for evangelism, Christ did command prayer, but turn to Matthew 9, let's look at what he says. There's a need for evangelism, Christ commanded prayer in relationship to evangelism, and I want you to notice what he says. Beginning in verse 35 of Matthew 9. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray, the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into this harvest. The word used for prayer here is beseech. It means to make a request. It carries the idea of of petition that gives special prominence to the expression of need. So Jesus here is commanding prayer for laborers with a sense of urgent need. So whatever the precise words of the prayer might have been, whatever the precise words of our prayer might be, its purpose was to gain an increase in the labor force. That begins, what we will see, is always being really much, pretty much the pattern when it comes to praying for the lost. You just don't see individuals praying for individuals by name that they just get saved. There's always a connection. There's always an emphasis on this type of thing. And, and we'll explain more of it as I kind of move along through this. But it's important for us to see this. Because again, I think that what will happen is, is it will help us when we pray. We will pray better. We will have, uh, I, I think it, it begins to put um, maybe a little more pressure on us. I don't mean in a bad way. I mean, I mean in, a, in a good way. Uh, I, I think it will help us as we pray. I think that, that um, it will be an encouragement. Because let me just kind of give this to you in general. Uh, number one, I've used, this, I've, I've used this example with individuals who believe that there's such a thing as a private prayer language. When it comes to the whole thing of the gift of tongues, there are many uh, of those within the charismatic movement who believe that uh, the gift of speaking in tongues is actually, or maybe is expressed by people praying in what they call their prayer language. It's, it's not in the Bible. Uh, it's just a twisting and a misunderstanding of Scripture. But, but that, that's what they teach. And I've talked to many, many individuals about that, and, I, and I've asked them questions. And usually my question is, well, if you are praying in your private prayer language and you don't understand what you're saying, which they all, every single one of them have always agreed with me that they clearly, they do not know what they're praying. But they'll quickly add, but I'm praying in the spirit. I know that God knows and God understands and they kind of go through this whole thing and that's fine. I let them finish and then I get back to my question, which is this. So if you're praying in the spirit and you have no idea what you're praying for, how do you know when your prayer is answered? How are you going to figure that out? And how are you going to be encouraged? I don't know about you, but if I pray for something or someone and whatever it is I'm praying for happens, I get pretty excited. I, I never think, wow, 
I prayed and it happened. I'm the man. I don't ever think that. I'm very excited that God answered that prayer. It's just so fantastic to see that happening. But if you don't know what you're asking for, if you have no idea what you're asking God to do, then how are you ever going to know when that prayer is answered? To me, it just boggles the mind. When it comes to us sometimes when we pray, we sometimes pray in such generalities that there's no way to know how God has answered the prayer. Like, let's say we're, we're praying for the missionaries. And we're in a hurry. And so we say, Lord, bless all the missionaries. Now, I don't know how many missionaries there are worldwide. I'm not saying the person who expresses that is not being sincere. How do we, how do we gauge that? How do we just bless all the missionaries? Maybe it's better just to pray for one missionary at that moment and, and pray specifically. Them. And we'll get into what those specifics might look like or what they, would, what they uh, maybe should look like uh, a little later, probably next week. But anyway, uh, the, the idea is that when you pray specifically, um, we more readily see God's answer. Remember that God's an- when he answers prayer, because I believe God always answers prayer. It's not always what we, what we want, but he always answers prayer. It, it's going to be, he's going to grant whatever we're asking. He may say no, or sometimes it's just wait. Normally, when we pray for those who are sick, our prayers are very specific. Someone so has cancer, we're asking the Lord to heal them or to put the cancer into remission. We're praying specifically, we ask God to give the doctor's wisdom. And so let's say all of a sudden, out of the blue, the individual gets this new treatment. It's experimental. They weren't going to get it because there's one doctor, they're now going to get it. And so they get this treatment and the cancer goes into remission. And as believers, what we all are convinced, God did all that. And we're correct. And we're usually very excited because that prayer was specifically answered. There are times when we pray for those of cancer and, and God doesn't heal them. The answer is, is no, and God takes them home. Uh, we're still comforted because if that person's a believer. We know where they are. But we pray specifically. And so I think that we should be praying that way in, in everything that, that we do. And we need to move away from just maybe those general, 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 kinds, general kinds of things. So again, Jesus commanded his disciples to pray for the Lord of the harvest, to send out workers. The verb send out is a very strong word which means thrust out or force them out as from urgent necessity. Some would render it even stronger and say this, that we're praying for the Lord to drive out and to push out, to draw out with violence those who need to go out and share the gospel. So there's a, there's a strong sense of urgency in this, and God taking action and pushing for this to take place. Could be that the prayer is worded in this way because we do know that it's a natural tendency of human beings, and in this case of Christians, to not always do that. We meet a few people who are gung-ho and, and they're in this and, and they want to do this, but you know, most mission organizations I know of um, aren't turning people away because they have so many individuals trying to be missionaries. Uh, many missionary organizations actually have openings at this very moment in certain countries. And in some, with some mission agencies, they actually have positions that are fully funded, but there's no missionary to go there because there's, there's no one. And so this prayer even makes more sense when you think of it in that way. So this strong prayer, this command, this beseeching here, is again in the aorist imperative and indicates that in some manner, earnest petition is necessary to reap the harvest successfully. Now again, we know that 
you know, God is sovereign, that God is all-powerful, God doesn't need us to, to do anything. We know that it pleases God to work through us, to make us to be a part of his plan. He uses us in the lives of others, just like God used an individual in your life to, to, to present the gospel. Uh, for many of us, there were many individuals in our lives that presented the gospel through the years. And there was a particular point in time when we placed our faith in Christ, so God used many individuals. Uh, but I, I really haven't met any individual where God did not use someone else in their life. I haven't met the individual who said, well, I woke up one day and all on my own, but it must have been God. I looked in the sky and, yep, I knew I needed, it's not, it doesn't work that way. God is working through individuals. It pleases him. It's part of his plan to use people in our lives in all kinds of ways to, to bring the individual, to bring us to Jesus Christ. And so here the idea is, is that God is going to do that and we should be praying for that. We know that God decrees the means as well as the ends and one of the means is prayer. As we pray for the Lord to send out workers, Linsky is a man who has uh, written a uh, has a commentary set on the New Testament. He does a lot with the Greek language. Um, I uh, ended up finding out about him through Tony Gould, and uh, I, I like to uh, to read some of his stuff. And he says this: He says the wonder will always remain that God, the primal cause, uses us and our prayers, the secondary causes, and does not discard them. What a blessed relation between the workers in the harvest and the Lord of the harvest. So what he's talking about here is that God is always the primary cause of all these things that happen. But God desires to use secondary causes. That's the fancy term they use uh, for those that God uses to accomplish his, his purposes. And here, what he is stating clearly is that God uses our prayers. So it's not just you and I sharing the gospel with individuals or any individual sharing the gospel though God is using them but God is also using our prayers and doesn't don't we feel together I know that that there are times that um, um, one time I think it was Tim and and myself and Tom we we met and we and we were praying we pray on Thursday mornings and we had prayed and um, I think it was from a Thursday I'm not sure it doesn't really matter uh, but one of the things we had prayed for um, there was almost like an answer within 24 hours that something that happened in the life of an individual. And so Tim immediately told us about that. So we were able to all really rejoice together. We were all happy together because this thing took place. It was just really cool that that, 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 that had taken place. And God desires, he uses that to bring us together to, so that we can share in that joy and, and share in the ministry of, of those things that God is doing. And it's, it's like... We really didn't do anything, but we did spend some time in prayer, so we did do something, and it pleased God to use our prayers, because I'm never going to say that God didn't use our prayers, but it pleased the Lord to use our prayers to, for this thing to take place, and it was just it was great to be a part of that, because in the end, that's what we were, we were a part of that. And so whether an individual is the one who's, when it comes to evangelism, whether it's the individual who is actually presenting the gospel, or the one who's over here praying, they both are being used by God in that individual coming to Christ. We're not just saying that to make people feel good about themselves so the individual who may not be sharing the gospel can pat themselves on the back. Well, I'm part of the... No, no, no. You are a part of the things that God is doing and it pleases God to use uh, our prayers in this endeavor. And it is just as an important aspect of this. Sometimes I wonder, and there's no no way to know the answer, but sometimes I wonder if, if people aren't praying for an individual, what happens with that? I know that God knows everything, but I don't. I don't know how all that works out. I, I really don't want to go there. 
uh, because I want to live in obedience to what God has said. So I'm going to pray. I'm not going to say, hmm, Tim's asked me to pray, but I'm not going to see what happens. <laughs> Just, you know, first of all, am I going to lie to him and say, oh, I'll pray, brother, but I'm not? Or I'm going to say, no, brother, I'm not going to pray. I want to see what happens. <laughs> I don't know how he would even take that, but he'd probably say, fine, and go get someone else to pray. But the, but the key is, is that, that it's, it's an integral part. Now, why should we believe that? Well, because we have faith in what God says. And that's what he's telling us here. I, want to, I live by faith. I trust what he says. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to live in obedience to this. So again, amazingly, Jesus in this prayer did not instruct prayer for the harvest. He did not pray for individuals to come to know Christ. It's not in there. What he prayed for was what we might call the thrusting forth of harvesters. So in the face of an obvious need for evangelism, Jesus did not command prayer for the sinners. We were to pray for the saints in this endeavor. So again, reflecting on the way we often pray, the way many Christians pray, reveals really how far away it is from the New Testament teaching on prayer. Again, Christ explicitly and definitely taught that prayer should be offered for the laborers of the harvest, but never explicitly or definitely taught or practiced that prayer should be offered for the unsaved. Well, what about Paul? How was, what about Paul's practice concerning prayer for evangelism? Paul again advocated that Christians pray for harvesters in connection with evangelistic need. When Paul found himself in prison with possibilities for evangelism on every side, he wrote to believers in local churches and he requested prayer. Instead of sending uh, the churches a list of names and requesting prayer for the salvation of these individuals, Paul said something completely different. Turn to Colossians chapter 4. You'll never find Paul writing to the Colossians or anyone saying, um, one of the guards I've been chained to is John. Pray for John's salvation. That's not what he says. Paul wants him to pray on his behalf. Colossians chapter 4, beginning of verse 2. He says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So Paul prescribes here prayer for the harvester, not for the harvest. I mean, yeah, not for the harvest. For the saint, which is himself and the other apostles, not for the sinner. He requests, uh, the request for himself was a plea for his effectiveness in witnessing to the unsaved. That's what Paul asked for, which I just think is just astounding when you think about it. Because again, what we normally do, what, we're what we tend to do is, I met this guy, his name is John, and pray for God to save him. That, that's, Paul could have done that a lot. He was chained to all these different guards. He didn't do that. Pray for me. Pray that I will, and he goes through some things. So let's kind of dissect what Paul is really asking them to do, because I think this will guide us and help us when we do pray for the lost, when we pray evangelistically. We do know, number one, that Paul desired opportunities to witness. He desired that God would open the door. What does he say in verse 3? Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word. Now, I think that's important, because even though Paul was an apostle, 
And I believe that, you know, I believe Paul actually had many spiritual gifts, and one of them was the gift of evangelism. With all of that, he did not for a moment presume that because he was going to be chained to a guard, he was going to have an opportunity to present the gospel. He, did, he, didn't, he didn't assume that. He was asking that they prayed that God would open the door. And there's all kinds of ways we can look at that, and maybe we should look at all of them that way, but we know that there's a lot of resistance to the gospel. Satan himself hates the gospel, and non-believers don't want to hear the gospel. And so just because you have an apostle chained to a Roman pagan guard doesn't mean that that guard really wants to hear anything Paul has to say. So that doesn't mean there's any opportunity for him to speak the word to this individual. Paul prayed that God would open a door to them. His concern was not for the comfort of his body. His concern was for the opportunity to speak. His concern was about the opportunity to witness. Biblically, it is God's responsibility to open doors of opportunity. Let me read to you verse 7 of Revelation 3. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. So realizing that it is God who opens doors, Paul requested prayer to this end. So here, the opening of the door of utterance was to be the subject of prayer. That, that Paul would, the door would be open and he would speak. And there are times that God gives us these opportunities for us to speak. I know I've shared with you before about one of the, one of the classification officers in the jail that I had befriended uh, when I was a chaplain there. And, you know, there are a lot of times that I, w- I would try to find ways to get into religion. He just didn't want, he didn't want to go there. Now, he sometimes would talk about uh, usually all these horror stories of, I don't know where he met all these pastors, but, man, he was done wrong by a lot of pastors. I guess there was, I'm not going to, I don't think he was lying to me. Actually, I think he was very bitter. And even though when he told the stories, he made it sound like these were things that happened five years ago. I think most of it happened 20 years ago. But he was a bitter man. But through the years of just talking to him and listening to him and no, no ever serious religious conversations of any kind, one day, out of the blue, at least on my calendar, he said, Chaplain, shut the door. I'd like to talk to you. And so I shut the door, and I could, have, I could have never envisioned what was about to happen next. He just dumped his entire life in my lap and asked me to get deeply involved in his family. It was incredible. He had an adopted son who was really a flaming homosexual, who was dying of AIDS. They knew he was going to die soon. He said, I'd like you to do me too. He said, I'd like you to bury my son. I said, I would be happy to do that, but I would love to speak to him first. He said, absolutely. When would you like to come over? And then he said, would you also come over and talk to me and my wife? Because we can't get anyone to tell us what's going to happen uh, with AIDS. And I know you've read a lot of stuff. Can you just tell us what you've read? I said, absolutely. And that began a relationship uh, with him and his family where... Uh, his oldest boy, before I believe, with all my heart, that before he died, he became a believer. Um, it was just, it was incredible. I could have, I didn't even know that was going on. And the Lord opened that door. And so, 
I think that's the kind of thing that Paul is talking about here. So again here, the opening of a door was utterance. That was to be the subject of prayer. They were to pray in order that such an opportunity would be granted. So again, Paul did not force opportunities. But rather through prayer, he depended on God to provide opportunities. That's what, see, Paul lived his life in dependence upon God. Paul was a clever man. Paul was intelligent. Paul could talk. Paul could argue. He, you know, when it came to that, he was the man. And he never once presumed he had the ability to do anything. And so he was asking them to pray for him. It, it's, I can imagine this happening with some guys in ministry, maybe a lot. But to, but, to, but to admit to, let's say, your congregation that you're not really all that and that you need God to grant you opportunities to speak the gospel, it sounds like we are, uh, the pastor's admitting that he needs help and in our country that's a view, that, that, that means that you're weak and... Some pastors might think that if they told their church that, the church might think about, we need to get another pastor. Because we need a man who's got his act together. Here's Paul. He's an apostle. And he's got no shame in basically letting them know, this is what I need you to pray for. In fact, I'm begging you to pray for this. I just, I think the more we think about it, the more incredible that it gets. So again, the prayer here is for the harvester, not for the harvest. It involves praying that the saints will be given opportunities to witness. So perhaps, maybe what we should do, which means we probably will, <laughs> is we'll take our prayer list and we have all those names for salvation and take them all off. We'll start over. And this is how we're going to do it. So let's say that Robert has a request. There's a, a, an individual he knows that he's praying for. So we would then put the name of his friend on the list, then a hyphen, and then Robert's name. We pray for him. I mean, he's the contact, right? He's the guy this lost person knows. We pray for God to give him an opportunity to be able to speak to this individual about the gospel. Now, we may still be praying for years. Because sometimes we know when we share the gospel, sometimes it's in bits and pieces. And sometimes it's not at all. Like in the situation with this individual, his name was Chuck. Like with Chuck, then all of a sudden the floodgates just boom, wide open. And, and you just, there's, the opportunities are just all over the place. But how exciting would that be to be praying for Robert in this way when he then says, because I don't know how he would say it, but he might say, you'll never believe what God just did. Because this so that we're praying for never wants to talk about religion. They hate everything that has to do with Christianity. And all of a sudden that individual is going through something and they came to me and asked me if I would pray for them. And, of course, hopefully what Robert would say, I would love to. I want to pray for you right now. I think that's important to do that. We'll talk about that another day. Because I don't think we should just say, oh, yeah, I'll pray for you and put it off. I think so much can happen there in that, in that interchange. But the point is, is he could share how God had opened that door. And so we, now we have even a whole, many more things to pray for. So that's, that's just the first part. There's some more for us to pray for, but we'll have to get to it next, next time uh, when we get together to deal with this. But I, I just think that it would give us some, some specific things to begin to pray for uh, that will be of a greater encouragement to all of us and to those who make the request to pray for those who are lost. 
Because to me, now that begins to make sense. Now I no longer just have a name of someone I don't know, but I do know the individual that knows them. And I, now I know how I can pray for them. And, and it may be that this individual is in another state. We still pray because, you know, with the email and texting and all the rest, that God may still give them opportunities. And it may be nothing more than the individual tells Robert, I, I know I need to talk to somebody, and da 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 And so he talks to him and says, can I call you tomorrow? I'm going to try to find somebody that's close to you, that you can, the Lord's opportunities. So there's all kinds of ways that God can answer that prayer, but that's what we're asking for. So I just want to challenge you to uh, become a little disgruntled with the way that we pray sometimes. Think about it. Ask some questions. We don't, you're not going to offend God. God's not offended by that. I think God wants us to, to pray a better, in a better way. So I'm not saying don't pray for the lost. Definitely pray for the lost. But pray for them differently. And we'll get into some more specifics. And perhaps, maybe even most likely, our prayer life will get better. We'll become more encouraged as God answers prayer. And maybe we might even see more individuals coming to know Christ. Because we are praying in ways that, in a sense, makes biblical sense. as the way that God desires things to be done. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you so much for your word. Father, it's never been our intent to move away from your word when it comes to the way that we pray. And we know, Lord, that you know this. Father, we never want to be ineffective in the way that we pray. And we know that you know this as well. For whatever reason, Father, we can slip into habits that whether it's because of tradition or the way that we were, way that we were raised or some combination of things or maybe because we're just being led by our heart and not really by our, our minds, we end up doing things that at least feel meaningful, but maybe, maybe it's not as meaningful as it ought to be. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to once again reevaluate the way that we pray for those that we do love so dearly that don't know you. I ask, Lord, that we would think about these things that we have seen tonight in the Word. Perhaps we can at least begin to pray with this one thing. Whether it's for ourselves, because of the ones that we personally know, that don't know Christ, or perhaps for another. That we will at least begin to follow the pattern that's given to us by Christ and Paul, which is to pray for the harvester, not the harvest. And pray here that you would open a door. Father, this opens up for us so many exciting opportunities to see you answer prayer. And we want to see that. And so, Father, we thank you. Thank you so much, Father, for not giving up on us. Thank you for those that you use in our lives so that when you open the door in our life to hear the gospel, they responded. And so, Father, again, we ask that you would continue to strive with us, always driving us, if necessary, back to you. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.